seated, and we're going to continue to worship together through prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? God, in this season of waiting, we ask that you would prepare our hearts for your arrival. We ask that under the sun of your love, that you would open our hearts, that you would make them tender and expectant. These days are dark, but how much brighter does your light shine against the darkness of the day? And so as we sit in the silence of this moment, would you visit us with your light of joy? Would you remind us of the way that your arrival brings hope and joy in ways that we didn't expect? Together, Lord, hear our prayer. It's hard to wait, God. Sometimes in our waiting, we lose sight of what it is we're waiting for. We get distracted. We make choices to fill the space that are not faithful to you or good for us. We try to force things. We lose hope. We allow our desires to lead us where they cannot be filled. But you came as a human and you know our frailty, you know our impatience, you know disappointment and sorrow, and so we ask for your grace. Would you forgive us and help us to wait for what it is we really need and want? Your hope, your peace, and your joy. Lord, hear our prayer. God, we ask for your joy this morning, a joy that does not fix sorrow, doesn't replace it, but shines in the midst of it. Your joy sustains us, surprises us, and intermingles with our ordinary lives. And so we ask for those who we love, who need your joy, those who are sick, who are lonely, who are asking questions about your goodness, who are wondering where you are. In their tender spots, would you meet them with your joy, peace, and hope? Would you show them that you know and that you care? We ask that you would reveal that while weeping lasts for a night, joy comes in the morning. And we thank you for our kids, Thank you for the joy they bring to us this season. Thank you for their willing participation in wonder. Open our hearts to participate in the ways that they find joy. We ask that you would guide and protect them, that you would make them strong and kind. 
we ask you for what we need. Together, Lord, hear our prayers. God, we pray for our world. We ask that you would reclaim it for yourself, that you would bring your reign here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for the people we see suffer because of decisions made by those in a place of power. Would you bring your hope? We see places where there is unrest, and we pray for countries torn by war and natural disaster. We pray for your peace. And we pray for those who are burdened by systems of injustice. We pray for your defiant joy. We pray for our world. Together, Lord, hear our prayer. We trust God that is it is in the midst of our lives as they are that your joy comes. In the midst of losses, in the midst of lack, in the midst of questions, in the spaces where we wrestle and wait, the miracle of your redemption, light and provision shines bright. And so we wait with longing asking that our waiting would increase in us the capacity for joy and not diminish it. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm delighted to be joined on stage by my friends Lynn, Mary Stewart, and Jacqueline. Many of you know them. They are part of our Lakeview community, and they are also all involved in the work of sons and daughters here in Saskatoon. Lakeview has been supporting sons and daughters for a number of years, and they are, again, one of the local ministries that we are highlighting through our giving projects again this December. So, Lynn, you're on staff with Hands at Work, which is the, the parent ministry of sons and daughters. So just tell us a little bit about the vision of sons and daughters and why this kind of ministry is important for a community like Saskatoon. Yeah, thanks, Kurt. Hi, everybody. Um, well, the whole thing begins with the truth that we really in Saskatoon do have a crisis here amongst our most vulnerable children. For us, that is children who are apprehended from their birth homes and they're put into government care. You know, many of these children are just at the point of their greatest need. They're not finding the care that they need. There's either not enough families there for them to receive them or there's not uh, the stability that they need. And it's having huge damage on kids. And it sets them up. We have higher rates of trauma disorders amongst our kids in child welfare than soldiers that are coming back from war, you know, and it's just not good. It's not good enough for us as Christians. So that's really where the whole thing actually begins. Now, for those who've been working with us in Africa, you'll know it looks so similar to what we see in the AIDS crisis there, where we see a generation of children in crisis and families, whether it's grandmas or aunties trying to care for them, but they can't do it alone. 
Africa literally invented that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child, right? And so we, we saw how when men and women from local churches there wrap, pursue families and wrap around them, it builds strength and resilience. It really brings transformation to, these, to the families, which impacts the kids' futures. And so in Sons and Daughters, we're really trying to replicate that same model here because we have families um, caring, trying to care for kids in child welfare, whether that's foster parents or grandparent-led families or birth moms and dads who are trying to get healthy and care. And we are mobilizing men, women, families from local churches to go and pursue and wrap around and build around those families as well to really change that story of those kids' future so they can have a chance to live God's dream for them. And Lakeview's been a big part of that. Yeah, and one of the things I love is whenever you talk about this, Lynn, is I love that the vision is to support. It is to equip. It's not to come in and to rescue and to be the Savior, but it's to come around those in need and to provide support around them, which I just think is is beautiful, and I love the vision of it. So now, Mary Stewart, you and Jacqueline, along with uh, Sarah Manifo, uh, <laughs> um, you're involved in this, but you're involved as like a little bit of a, a trio. You kind of like collaborate together. Just tell us a little bit about what your involvement in, in the work of Sons and Daughters looks like. Yeah, so the three of us met a mom almost three years ago now. Uh, she was part of a program at Sanctum 1.5, and we met her just as she was getting ready to move out of Sanctum 1.5, and so she was moving into an apartment on her own with her six-month-old daughter, and she had had a son previously who she wasn't able to care for, so this was really the first time that she would be parenting and on her own, and yeah, we just kind of stepped in and really started with some practical things of helping her move, find stuff for her apartment, driving her to appointments or to get groceries. Um, you know, but she, she was really great off the start of letting us kind of into her life. But from her side, like, she's been through a lot in her life, and there has been people in her life who haven't shown up for her or been there when she needed it. So it, it's, it's hard to get somebody to trust you, especially when three kind of random ladies show up and are not getting paid to show up and we don't really have an agenda of what to do. So it, it took a while for us to um, kind of build that relationship with her, but we just continued to show up and we celebrated birthdays together and holidays and just been there for each other. And, you know, she went through a really hard time this past fall and... Um, I had been reaching out to her and hadn't gotten any response. And yeah, you could just tell she was struggling and kind of pulling back. And my initial reaction was to pull back as well, you know, and just say, okay, when she's ready, it'll come back. But I just really had this feeling that like, that is the time somebody needs encouragement. You know, so I just kept sending messages or calling her and leaving messages, even when she wasn't responding. And honestly, it was about three months later that she sent me a message and just said, like, thank you so much for the encouragement. This, like, this matters to me. And you ladies have, like, really helped me on this journey to sobriety and making a better life for me and my daughter. And it's like, yes, that is why we are doing this, because it makes a difference. Oh, wow. That is, that is, that is incredible. Very inspiring. Um, wow, we just are, are, yeah, that's, like, really, I'm, just, I'm a, little bit, a little bit speechless, like, honestly, that sounds like such significant work. I just imagine what it looks, what it looks like to be in a very, like, challenging situ situation in life, but to know there's people there for you in this kind of way, and to know how wonderful you people are is, is really wonderful, so I just think that's great. Now, so, so, Jacqueline, you know, 
getting involved in something like Sons and Daughters, I think one expects you're going to hopefully make an impact and you'll have some of these stories and you'll hopefully believe that God will use you to influence other people's lives. But I know that many of us have discovered that when we get involved in God's work, there's something that we also receive that is a gift. And so just maybe tell us a little bit about what you've personally experienced, especially in terms of like connecting in community with these others who are a part of this work with you. Yeah, uh, no problem. Uh, first of all, I want to say that we are not superheroes. Um, we stepped out in faith. Uh, three years ago, I, I stepped forward and after listening to Lynn speak, and I just felt God speaking to me that, you know, step out in faith. Don't be fearful about this. And I had no idea who I was going to be teamed up with. I had no idea what it was going to look like. And I'm just here to tell you, if you feel God tugging at your heart to do any of this, please just go for it. Don't be afraid. You don't have to come with any special kind of skill sets. God is so wonderful. He put me with the best team I could ever be with. Um, I love it because we often joke that I'm the, the kokum, the grandma, or the mother, and uh, Mary Stewart would be like the sister, and Sarah is more like the aunt. So the three ages, we have really been able to kind of work together with our mother and come at it with our different gifts, our different talents. And we've navigated that together, and we've grown together as a team, and I see them as my extended family now. And we do. We celebrate birthdays together. We celebrate, we're going to have some early Christmas together with our mom and... Um, and I can just tell you from having an experience with another mother uh, over 20 years and me being the sole person of who she reaches out to, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate having a beautiful team of two other ladies in my world that we can bounce ideas off of. There are many times that we, ha we have no solution. So we pray about it together. We reach out to our team, our extended team, and I can't tell you how important that is too. We have been fully surrounded and wrapped in love by not only um, our particular peers, but we have a team, an extended group within the um, sons and daughters team, and we get together on a regular basis and pray for each other. And I can just personally say I have grown in my faith and um, my love and seeing God at work in my life and the lives of these uh, women and the lives of my, my friends and my sisters and brothers in Christ. And so I just want to really encourage you to think about it. If that is where your, your heart is being tugged towards it, don't be afraid. Step out and, and uh, you will be rewarded immensely. And how could your heart not be tugged by this? Honestly, this is so wonderful. Uh, I, I love those stories, Jackie, of not only this young mom having the presence of these you know, women of support in their lives, but also just you joining together and experience the goodness of love and growing closer to God as well, which is, which is beautiful. So then, Lynn, um, we're excited to be, again, supporting um, sons and daughters financially, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But for those who are feeling the tug of their heart as uh, Jackie's laid out the invitation, like what are, what are the opportunities and what way, if people want to get involved, what should they do? Yeah, great question. Well, um, <laughs> I think Jackie's kind of nailed it already. If it's stirring in your heart, you know, even if you're not sure what, it, what that looks like, to come and just, just have a conversation with us because we want to get to know you, get to know us, and let's see what it is. We have, what we do is we do these kinds of, we match these sorts of 
personal relationships, which is kind of the backbone of what we do. But we're also building these communities of support amongst families, right? So uh, foster parents, grandparent-led families, and birth families. And so we have events. We host. Lakeview's been a big part of that. We use the building a ton. There's things happening here. Um, people could come. That's a one-time thing. You come. You meet people. You interact with people that you maybe would have never met otherwise. And, and just see. Just ask, God, what are you doing in my heart? What are you saying? Um, so there's... there's Low front step opportunities like that, um, or if it's really in your heart to really build a relationship, come and we can talk about that as well. So we'll, I think a couple of us will be at the back after church and we'd be available. Yeah, and you're known people in our community, and I'm sure Jackie, Mary Stewart, Lynn would love to talk. And there are, there's a growing number of community within our church that's actually active, and it's very much behind the scenes, uh, but it's so significant, and I believe it's so close to God's heart. So would you please give our friends a round of applause, and thank you so much for coming to share with us today. So again, we're, we're highlighting the work of sons and daughters as a part of our Advent season and, and where we feel moved by the response that God came to us with generosity and love and we want to respond with generosity. And so we put before our community significant asks and here's a summary of what our uh, December giving projects look like. We're hoping to raise $40,000 to support the work of Hands at Work in Africa. And Lynn's going to be back next week. And we're going to hear a bit of an update because if you've been around Lakeview for a while, you've heard of the work of, of Hands at Work for several years. And Lynn's going to actually tell us a bit of a good news story of change that's happening. $10,000 we're hoping to raise for sons and daughters to continue to support this significant work that's happening right in our community. And $5,000 to support MCC Saskatchewan with their Indigenous Neighbors program as we heard about last week. And then finally, we are raising $300,000 to support our operational uh, work here as a church. This represents our December just offerings and tithes. Uh, we rec we've come to see in previous years, this is a big month for the giving of our church. And so in total, we're hoping to raise $355,000. And just to give you an update on where we're at so far, we have brought in $32,000. So thank you to those of you who have given. And we invite you, if you've not yet given, we invite you to consider uh, giving towards the exciting work that God is doing in our church. And I, and I just want to just add one thing. I just want to be clear. Like, we are not hoping or asking you to give out of a sense of obligation or duty or guilt. In fact, I actually, as we were you know, preparing for this morning, just reflecting on joy. And, and I really loved in, in Allison's prayer, she mentioned joy that doesn't do away with sorrow, but joy that shines in the midst of sorrow. I actually think that joy is a wonderful place for us to reflect on as we consider giving. Yes, the, the joy of giving to something that's meaningful and making projects possible, but also the joy of holding our money loosely. The joy of declaring that money does not have a grip on us the joy of generosity. So if you would like to give this year, you can give in the normal ways. You can give online at lakeviewchurch.com give. You can use our texting feature with your credit card by texting 84321 and the prompts will lead you through. You can give in person with the give boxes, with cash or check or at the info desk. And I just want to be clear too, if you ever also have questions about this, I am very often available in the lobby and I'm more than happy to talk to you about how things are going or if you have any questions you have, I'd love to talk about that with you. A few more announcements before we uh, get into our message for the morning. Uh, Christmas Eve is coming. We are hosting three services, but the uh, three o'clock service is full. So registration has hit capacity, so we still have space. And our 4.30 and 6 o'clock services 
just a heads up that capacity for those services will be about 50%. So we're, we're limiting it to 350 people. You can register online at lakeviewchurch.com. And like we've talked about, of course, this is a time of year we want to consider inviting our friends. And I would say the people that are on my heart are the people whom I would say I have great memories of being a part of church with, but I've not seen them with us for quite a long time. And I understand many people are still navigating challenges with the pandemic, but I think Christmas Eve is a wonderful time for us, those who have been showing up in person, to re-invite some of our friends to come back and, and celebrate with us on the 24th. And then just a heads up, on December 26th, there will be no services, so you can enjoy that time with family and friends and maybe gather as you find appropriate. And then last thing, if you'd like to get connected here at our church, you can do so by going to leafychurch.com connect. We're always uh, excited to help people get connected and find their place in our community. Today we lit the pink candle. It was the candle of joy. And in some ways, talking about joy, I mean, listening to a video, watching a video with kids, does it's just wonderful. But sometimes talking about it or reading books about joy, dissecting joy, can be one of the ways almost like like chasing it back into hiding. Maybe it exists the best when it emerges on the periphery of our awareness. It's like when your kids or your grandkids are having a great time together and they're playing really well and you step into the room or you make a comment about it and what fun they're having and suddenly the dynamic totally changes and the moment is gone. But I do not think, I do not think that joy is so fragile a thing. So today, we lit the pink candle, and we're going to bring joy into the spotlight, to look for it, to examine it, to value it. So I have a question for you today. If um, you were to complete the sentence, joy is, or joy is like, what would you say? We've got some kids with some ideas and thoughts to get us started. Being outdoors brings me joy. Joy is letting. Joy is like when your grandma and grandpa come over and you can't stop smiling because it comes from the inside. Joy is an organized room. Joy is giving presents to others. Um, if you're mad or sad, the happiness goes away, but the joy still stays. Such great glimpses of joy. Thanks to the kids and families who sent in their ideas. Any of these resonate with you? An organized room? Sledding on a wonderful afternoon? Um, I heard a story this week about a chocolate maker from Syria who currently lives in Antigonish, Nova Scotia, and he told a story about his father who made his first batch of chocolate in 1986, and he brought it home to his family to taste. Now, this family lived in Damascus, where they had roots for generations, like there were hundreds and hundreds of years of this family living in Damascus. So there were grandparents on the main floor and aunts and uncles that lived higher and higher and cousins. So they all kind of lived in this same building. 
We had celebrations for birthdays and anniversaries all together in their grandmother's suite. And it was to one of these meals that Issam brought his first batch of chocolate for the family to taste. So Issam started becoming a chocolatier because he believed that he could make happiness. Because who doesn't like chocolate, right? So one day, um, about a year after he had made his first batch of chocolate, he ended up opening a shop on the way to the airport. And a woman missed her flight to Istanbul, and he, she came into his shop. She stopped by his shop. Oh, hi, my name is Issam, he said. What is your name? And she said, my name is Shanas. Shanas, what can I get for you? And she said, well, I missed my plane to Istanbul, but I'm going to go, and I would like to bring a gift for my family. Well, it happens that Issam had 10 boxes in the back of his shop that he had made and he prepared for very special customers. So it was like the best chocolate he had made. There was like, my mouth waters just thinking about it, dark chocolate, there was white chocolate, there was gold chocolate with caramel, and it was mixed with like dried blueberries and pistachios and roasted almonds and hazelnuts, and then Syrian spices, and beautifully artistically shaped. It almost felt like you were eating pieces of jewelry. And Assam had spent a lot of time making these pieces for special customers. These boxes were worth, they figured, about $100 each. But he felt like he wanted to send happiness on this plane to Istanbul. So he gave two boxes of his best chocolate to Shanas. He didn't want any payment. He said, go and create some extraordinary moments and then come back and tell me about them. And then he had put little, little notes into every one of the boxes that said, my name is Issam. I do not make chocolate. I make happiness. So Shanas's heart was melted. She came back to the shop after she had spent time with her, with her family and she bought the rest of the boxes, became one of his best customers, and in a few months, these two actually fell in love and got married. And the man being interviewed, his name was Tarek, exists because of two boxes of chocolate. This was his parents' love story. Now that chocolate factory was bombed in Syria during the war, and the family became refugees who came to Antigonish, Nova Scotia, and they began to make chocolate again. And their chocolate is now sold in a lot of places and they call it peace by chocolate, P-E-A-C-E. -E. Anyone can make chocolate, they say, but only we can make peace by chocolate. Did your list of joy include biting into the best piece of chocolate? Here are a few others. Joy is finishing your project. Joy is the moment a student catches on to something you've been trying to teach them. Joy is getting the account that you've been working so hard to get. Joy is getting invited to the fun birthday party. Joy is putting up your Christmas tree. Joy is finding a surprise that someone left for you or waking up first and watching the sunrise with your coffee in hand or waking up last and finding breakfast made and the fire crackling. Maybe Joy is running that half marathon and then joy also looks very much like dying of exhaustion at that point when you finish your marathon. It, it's, a, it's a bit of a mystery, joy. 
and it's sprinkled throughout our world in so many ways. We find it in so many places. And it's sprinkled through our scriptures too, in so many stories and with so many images. It's one of the common graces. It's part of living in our world. In one of the readings in Luke for today, we find joy in a very unexpected place, in a baby who is not yet born. So Elizabeth was pregnant with a boy that she would call John. And when she met Mary, one baby jumped for joy. Okay, so like we all know that there's not much jumping space. There's not much room for leaping in a mother's, um, in a mother's womb. But somehow there was joy. There was some kind of a jolt of joy. Before this baby, who would be John, saw the light of day, he recognized the light of the world, and it came with joy. There are other unexpected places where we find joy in our lives as well as in Scripture. We sometimes find joy tangled up in other parts of life. It's hard to distinguish sometimes. Sometimes it's tangled up in rest. Joy often comes with rest when, you, when you're able to take a break. Sometimes joy is tangled up in meaningful work. Sometimes it's tangled up in friendship. And sometimes joy is even tangled up in sorrow. And not tangled up as in inaccessible, but tangled and somehow present. So we have, this, we have this instinct that joy must be in a place where sorrow is not, that those two have to be separated. Or that sorrow needs to exist in a place where joy is not exuberantly um, present. And in our, in our communities, we've not always known how to allow sorrow and joy to both exist, both tangled together without trying to force joy to be the dominant color. Without trying to capture joy is the only way to understand this Christian life. So sometimes we force others or force ourselves to cover up our sorrow, to bury our sadness, to ignore our, our deep wounds or our frustrations that we are feeling, and try to drum up some joy. There's an interesting passage in the Old Testament in the book of Ezra where the people are going back to rebuild a temple that's been in ruins for 70 plus years. So the builders have laid a new foundation and the people have come back. So they've been gone for 70 plus years and they come back um, to celebrate, to sing their old songs. They sing that God is good and they sing that his love endures forever. after complete destruction, after their lives were completely undone. And so the people start shouting, and they start shouting their praises because there is a new foundation. But it's at the sight of this profound destruction of their meeting and worship place and the undoing of all that they were as a people. And as the shouting of joy starts, the elders who remember the way it used to be before the destruction they start weeping. And this sound of weeping gets tangled up with the sounds and the shouting of joy, and now no one can actually tell the difference. There's just so much noise. Joy is tangled up with sorrow as something is being made new. Something is being restored, and it's all present, large and loud. 
And I wondered this week what joy is like when it's tangled up with sorrow. What does that look like? Sometimes maybe like a teeter-totter. Sometimes maybe like a spring that starts to bubble up um, when the, dry, the soil has been dry. Um, there are some people in our lives and some people groups who are acquainted with a very long entanglement of joy and deep sorrow. And I'm beginning to catch a glimpse of this as I get to know our Indigenous neighbours and understand more of our treaty history in Saskatchewan. But I read this book by, um, not the whole thing, but parts of it, by Barbara Holmes, and it's a book called Joy Unspeakable. And she gives us glimpses into another community, into the American black church's practices of, of looking for joy in times and seasons of sorrow. And she says that for a people besieged by trouble, the good news from many black church pulpits has been, this too shall pass. And worship leaders in the black church who use the phrase, and we heard it already this morning, weeping may endure for a night, will hear the call and response from the congregation, but joy comes in the morning. And in a community who's known slavery and suffering for generations, Night isn't just 12 hours or 24 hours. It's said in the middle of knowing that the night will be long, but still they say, weeping may endure for a night, but, can we say it together? But joy will come in the morning. Yeah. And she describes um, a way of interrogating the silences in scripture. It's not a great posture. I am, I'm a wrestler. It's what I do. I wrestle with God when things do not make sense. And she talks about facing into scripture and into God and interrogating the gaps and the places that don't make sense in our experience of the world. And this process emerged from the Jewish, in the Jewish culture in the third to sixth centuries, and they called it Midrash. And in the black community, they called it Griosh. It's a similar way of reading the holy scriptures and hearing about, for example, the joy that is set before us and interpreting this incomprehensible situation of sorrow and slavery. And it's facing into God and facing into the scriptures and asking him, interrogating the silences and the omissions. It's a way of bringing our human situation before God in the stories that we read, in the letters, and in all of, the, all of the things of scripture that we read. And I think sometimes kids can help us also to learn this kind of reading, of interrogating the gaps. This is how kids often engage in scripture and stories, asking questions about what's not there. I remember reading the Bible to um, one of our daughters and she was constantly trying to turn the page to find out what was coming next or to turn back to remember what would happen. The stories don't just go in a linear way. There's asking the whys and the where did that go and wondering about things that are missing or go on too long when we thought they should be done. And what does soon mean? And the joy captures them as they walk across the room and throw a cartwheel. Joy can't be joy if we, if we carry it falsely, if we try to wear it falsely. It disintegrates in our fingers and turns to rags shreds as we try to pull it tightly around us. It is Christmas after all and all the music shouts merry and joy. But maybe, maybe it can emerge and grow in the midst of our honest lives, lived before each other 
and before God. When we speak the truth of our lives to each other and before God, truth of betrayal, truth of frustration or anxiety or fear or gratitude and excitement. It's then that the quiet melody of joy will eventually come to us. Or maybe it will be a booming bass drop of joy that overtakes us and leaves us breathless. On a cold December morning when the sound travels further than usual, or on a hike when you can just hear the sound of water running before you know it's there. For this joy of our God, who came to earth as a tiny child, it is not a fragile joy. It doesn't dissipate in the morning's light. We light the pink candle of joy. We let that melody wrap itself around us and lead us to the people of God. We watch it emerge from the soil and transform our world. We don't grit our teeth and make it. We do not just pretend that it exists. It is a gift of our redeeming and creating God. It will emerge among God's people and throughout God's amazing creation. It is a gift of a good creator that grows on the good path. Joy will find us on this good, good road, sometimes before we recognize it. It is a gift of our Redeemer, of our Redeemer who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That's not a flimsy, kitschy, dollar store kind of a joy. That is a treasure that invites us forward. It is something that will eventually totally overtake our sorrow. So come on up, Theo and Harper. And there we're going to close um, the morning by singing or by listening to Psalm 100. Come on up. Yeah. You will hear Psalm 100 read in um, French. Joy is sometimes unrecognizable. And Harper will read Isaiah 35. Yeah. Psalm de Louange. Poussez vers l'éternel des cris de joie, vous tous habitants de la terre. Servez l'éternel avec joie. Venez avec allégresse à sa présence. Sachez que l'éternel est Dieu. C'est lui qui nous fait et nous lui appartenons. Nous sommes son peuple. Et le troupeau de son partage. Entrez dans ses portes avec des louanges, dans ses pavés avec des santiques. Célébrez, bénissez son nom. Car l'éternel est bon, sa bonté dure toujours, et sa fidélité de génération en génération. Even in the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The desert will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as the Mount Carmel or the Plain Charon. The, there the Lord will display his glory. 
the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. deaf, deaf. The lamb will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh, grass, and reeds, and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the Highway of Holiness. Even mighty people will never travel on it. It will only be for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beast. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Mm -hmm. 